Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. I'm a philosopher who advocates Ayn Rand's philosophy of reason, individualism, and capitalism. Today, we're talking about an unusual application of the principle of capitalism. I titled it, Get the Cops Out of Medicine. And I have to do some political philosophy as background for why the issue is the cops in medicine. But I want to begin with this story. A, a small biotech company is uh, that I was solicited to invest in, but probably won't, and I won't name it. They have a molecule that's found in the body. It's a naturally occurring molecule that promotes angiogenesis, which means blood vessel growth, not existing blood vessels, but promotes new blood vessel growth. They believe that many diseases occur of age occur because the blood vessel system is not delivering enough blood. The blood uh, arteries and veins and capillaries get gunked up and the blood flow is not as good in age as it is in youth. And that they believe, and I stress they believe, I don't know if this is true or not, accounts for Parkinson's, uh, some kidney disease, uh, several different things, not cancer, but several other different uh, terrible diseases, heart disease among them. So they have been testing under a certain small permission from the government or a loophole in the government regulations is more like it, testing it on a few people. I saw a video of two Parkinson's patients who were able to move more freely after just a week, I think it was, of treatment with a nasal spray once a day. So it looks very promising. I don't know if it really works or if there's some kind of fraud or hype going on. That's not important. The important thing is that the CEO spoke about what it will take to get through the FDA. It's not just the money because they are doing a small uh, trial that will cost only 20, 40, 60 million dollars. A real pharmaceutical company doing big scale tests has to invest a billion dollars in bringing their uh, drug through the FDA process. But he thought it would be in the tens of millions. The real thing is it will take 10 years. He says, realistically, it will take 10 years before this can be brought to market. It will take three or four years before they can even begin real tests outside of this loophole. Why? 
because the government does not permit us to try drugs that we want to try. Why don't they permit it? Well, that will emerge. But let's get back to then why I say that this is an issue of cops in medicine. We have to start back with, I think the, the first place to start is with how do men live? How do human beings survive? What is their means of survival? It's their brain, it's their mind. It's their thinking, their reasoning, they're figuring things out, they're learning from experience in a way that no animal can. As Ayn Rand puts it, man's mind is his basic means of survival. What is government? We have to fill in a lot of steps in between, but I wanna jump ahead to make this motivated. What is government? Well, what distinguishes government from any other group of people, any other institution, like a fraternity in college, or a church, or a corporation? Any other group has to work by the voluntary consent of the people that it deals with, the members of the group and the outsiders. The government doesn't work by voluntary consent. It doesn't say, please fasten your seatbelt. It doesn't say, please don't try this drug, it could be dangerous. It says, you do this, we'll arrest you. We'll send the police. Oh, we'll go through some polite letters first, but you know that if you don't, if you persist in disagreeing with our edict or lawfully passed bill, the police will come. Government is the police force and the military for foreign uh, uh, invaders or foreign wars. But domestically, it's a police force. And of course, the military and the police force are both engaged in what? Force, physical force, the laying on of hands, the throwing in jail, locking it up. Ultimately, the firing squad, the electric chair. Now, no church whose rules you break can come and arrest you, throw you in prison. It used to be that way, but we got the separation of church and state. If you break the laws of a fraternity, you're thrown out of the fraternity. The people in it say, we choose not to deal with you anymore. They cannot make you obey them. If a wife doesn't obey her husband, what can he do? He may be able to divorce her. He should be able to, if that's what he wants to. I mean, he should have the right to. It's not, a, a wife should not have to obey anybody. It's not an issue of obedience. But if the husband says it's gotta be X and the wife says, I'm not gonna do X, 
He can't call the cops. He can't throw in jail. He can walk away. He can dissolve the partnership. He cannot deal, he can refrain from dealing with her in the future. But if you disobey the law, the police come. Again, they'll go through some polite stages where they'll send you letters and urge you, maybe you'll get a phone call, but just try not paying your taxes. Sorry, I'm not interested. You'll go to jail. Government is a gun. Government is the gun of the police or of the army or the other armed services. Government is the agent of force. Now, we began with the mind as a tool of survival. Force is mind thwarting. Force attempts to make you do something. That's what it's designed to do to make you do that which your mind says, no, I'm not going to do that. But you have to under threat of destruction. So it's at the mind that every gun is aimed. If you agreed with the law, you wouldn't have to be forced to obey it. You would just do it. Like, I believe in seatbelts, and I think most of us do. So the no policeman has to pull me over and tell me to buckle my seatbelt because it's buckled. No force is being applied there, I agree. But when you disagree with the government, the gun is pulled to make you do what you think is wrong. No, I don't wanna pay these taxes. I think it's wrong for me to surrender my wealth to God knows what, including the FDA. So the gun comes out to substitute the will of the state for your will. And the will is your reason, your decision. That's what will really is. Your mind's decision, your thinking, your reasoning, your deciding. So it's against the mind that every gun is aimed. Now we need the police. We need guns, why? To counter the guns that criminals have. If there were no police, well, we saw what that meant in the, uh, was it Portland? Uh, I'm, I'm vague about what's Portland and what's Washington. Either Seattle or Portland had that anarchist commune uh, on the hill in that city for months and people were murdered. It was terrible. The police had to come. I could give you many examples, but the point is we need the police. We need the gun to stop people who would initiate, who would start the use of force. Ayn Rand makes a distinction between two kinds of force, the good and the bad. Initiated force, force against an innocent person who hasn't forced you is bad. Defensive force, force to stop that initiation. Retaliatory force is good. 
We need a government to place retali- not just to have good, strong retaliatory force, but to place it under objective control. So all the procedures are codified, what the police can and can't do, are very carefully spelled out. If someone crosses over, like the um, George Floyd murderer, he's subject to the law. He's prosecuted. He's convicted. He's punished. So you need retaliatory force to protect rights or else it's chaos and random murder. But you also need to place the government under objective control or else the government becomes the biggest criminal of all. And you're no longer living under a defense of your rights government. You're living under something like the Ayatollah's Iran or Kim Il-sung's North Korea or Putin's Russia, where the government makes initiates force against you. So you need the cops, but they need to be carefully hemmed in by a constitution, objective legal processes, review boards, perhaps. You need to place retaliatory force under objective control. So there are two kinds of force, the mind-defending force, mind-defending force, which stops others from using force against you, and mind-thwarting force, which is what has to be stopped by force. Now, which is medical innovation? Is it mind-respecting or mind-thwarting? It's not force at all. It's mind-respecting. Medical innovation is the creation of reason offered to people who agree with it. It's not forced on anybody. Well, Mengele, but that wasn't uh, medical innovation. In the concentration camps of of Hitler, Joseph Mengele performed experiments on Jewish prisoners, which were just atrocities. But that's not what this company I'm talking about is doing. It's not what Moderna is doing. It's not what Pfizer is doing. It's not what any of these companies are doing. They want the right recognized that they can ask people if they want to take part in a trial or want to buy it and use it or not. There's no force involved in that. So it's not only that there should be no FDA to stop people from putting into their bodies what they want to, and no drug laws, narcotics laws, and all those laws are wrong. It's a wider issue. What is the role of government in public health? None. It has no role in public education. It has no role in spirituality. It has no role in medicine. It has no role in cooking. Its role is only one thing, to keep you free by stopping the force initiated by others. Countering the force initiated by criminals, 
or by paramilitary groups or by terrorists or by foreign armies. That's what government exists to do, to protect your mind, not to override your mind. So the government has no role in public health, none. Now you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, can't they quarantine somebody? Yes, but not for public health. They can quarantine somebody who has an infectious disease that would pose a risk on other people if he or she went out into the streets. They can't stop him from, they shouldn't be able to stop him from visiting people who willingly, knowingly, and willingly invite the infected person onto their premises. Like, uh, let's take the last, the COVID pandemic. They had no right to shut down the country. That was done in the name of public health, which is kind of mental chewing gum. Public health, oh yeah, sounds great. Yeah, of course we have to be protected against disease. Yeah, you have to be protected against landslides and tigers and so, but that's not the job of government. Government's job is to protect you against men wielding guns. Now it's not just guns, you know, it's all kinds of mind thwarting forcible activities like um, what's his name, Bankman with FTX who defrauded and the Theranos woman and Bernie Madoff. All those are the indirect use of force, but it's force. They're holding your money without your consent. You did not consent to what the actual facts were. They sold you phony goods. You didn't pay for phony goods. You paid for what it was represented to be. You didn't get that. So your money is being held by physical possession, not by right. So fraud is an indirect form of force if it involves material damage. And that's really in the definition of fraud. It has to, if somebody just lies to you, tells you, you know, the moon is 100,000 miles away, when he knows damn well it's about 250,000 and varies, you can't sue him for that. If he says, you know, uh, I once drove race cars for Roger Penske, uh, Formula One race, and he didn't. You can't sue him for that. But if he represents something on which a reasonable man would rely and get your money for it, that's fraud. That's physical force because he's got your money without your consent. So if, if you want to know how I define force, this is not an official objectivist definition. This is mine. It's physical contact without consent or the threat of that, because most force does not work by actually laying on hands, but by threatening, pointing a gun, raising the club or the fist, assembling a group of enforcers and threatening to break your knees if you don't do something. Now, is there any threat in uh, offering, say, this uh, protein that promotes angiogenesis? It's, 
They said, do you want this? And you say, yeah, I'd like to try that. I mean, obviously, it's more involved than that. That's no threat. If there were a promise, well, we promise this will cure your Parkinson's and you can have a pill for $1,000 and then it doesn't cure your Parkinson's, that is force. But that's not what's going on. That almost never goes on. And um, even if it did, so what? Now, what do I mean by so what? Here we get to the really interesting and ugly underbelly of the FDA and all public health legislation. If you ask the advocates, well, why do we have to clear with the government a scientific fact? Why can't I use my own mind, consult my doctor and specialists and researchers and make up my own mind? The answer will be what? Well, you may be rational, but there are people out there who would be bamboozled. There'd be people out there be buying dangerous stuff, stuff and using it. There was um, some years back, about uh, 10 years ago, the company that is called 23andMe, which sequences your genome and tells you your ancestry and tells you what diseases you're susceptible to from your genome was stopped by the FDA because the FDA said, well, if you find you have the BRCA gene, if this company analyzes your saliva and tells you you have the BRCA gene, you might go out and have a mastectomy when you're really not under any real risk. And the mastectomy would be a terrible mistake to just on the basis of having the gene get a mastectomy. So what is the philosophy here? The idea is Jane Doe gets a 23andMe test back. The philosophy is going to be altruism, but let's tell the story. And it says she has the BRCA gene. So she Googles cheap surgery and finds Joe who works out of a van in a parking lot, goes in as a mastectomy and gets infected and is in big trouble, plus losing a, a breast. Now, what kind of view of women is that? I mean, is that is there anything that might intervene between your getting the test results and your rushing out to get a vasectomy? Do test results energize the retina that leads to the brain, leads to the muscles contracting and you running out to get a vasectomy? Your mind intervenes. You decide what you're going to do about it. You decide, well, I'm going to ask my doctor about this, what is the risk and what are my alternatives? Or I'm going to Google it and find get a mastectomy cheap because I don't want to get cancer. In other words, yeah, there are a few people who are really irrational, but that's not the nature of the human being. That's not what women are like. It's not what men are like. 
there are there is a choice between rationality. I have to push a button to restore my picture. There's a choice between rational functioning and irrational functioning. So what the FDA and all public health legislation is based upon is don't let the rational people be rational because some irrational people might be irrational. So it's the sacrifice of the rational to the irrational, the sacrifice of the moral people to the immoral people. There's nothing worse than that. And now we get to the, I mean, not only is it unjust, but the stakes, the stakes, your life is shortened really a lot by the fact that the FDA slows down medical progress to a crawl. 10 years and a billion dollars for a major drug, 10 years and tens of millions of dollars for a simple drug that's already in your body, a naturally occurring human protein. If it weren't for the FDA, and I don't mean just today, I mean the FDA slowing the rate of progress for the last 100 years, there would be progress building and innovation building on innovation in ways that we couldn't predict. But we know now that we're on the brink of A, curing cancer. That's right, curing cancer. There are three separate developments that are in the slow, slow, slow works of the F FDA trying to get approval. Uh, one of them is by Moderna, and it just did well in one of the clinical trials. Uh, 40, you know, well, but not 100%. It was 44% had complete remission. There's another thing that I read about, I forget the name of it, that eight people had 100% remission of cancers. 100% remission, every one of eight people. Now, you don't need any clinical trials after that. Yeah, you may have trials to adjust the dosage. You may have trials to see what the side effects are. But there's no question but that that is a cure for that kind. That was one kind of cancer. The odds of eight people having remission, complete disappearance of the tumor are billions to one because the odds of one person having a remission from some you know, random cause is thousands of, uh, to one. So it's one in, let's say one in a thousand will show a spontaneous remission. It almost never happens. That's the kind of thing where people say it's a miracle. God must have done it. Not realizing that God must have sent the cancer in the first place if he's the guy who can make it stop. So the miraculous to happen in eight out of eight times is beyond all question works. 
So, and there's a third thing that also is uh, on the trail of cancer. We can't have these cures. People who have cancer can't have them because the government isn't satisfied that it's good enough. It doesn't only have to be safe, you know, which they have no legitimacy in determining. It has to be effective. So you could have something like these um, uh, COVID vaccines, which were known for, from the outset to be safe, despite what you hear from alarmists. But they had to show they were effective and they had to show it in tests on tens of thousands of people taking months and months. So people laud how rapidly, how amazingly rapidly we got vaccines into the arms from, uh, from when they were invented when, when COVID started. Do you know how long it took to come up with the vaccine? Not to get it through the government. Now, of course, they'd have to do some testing, you know, on first on animals and then on a few volunteers. But from the way that messenger RNA works and how fast it degrades, you're pretty confident from the start that it's going to be benign. It's not going to have side effects. Do you know how long it took them to invent it, Biogen? Two hours. So don't come to me saying, oh, amazingly rapidly, the warp speed project was amazingly rapid. The whole thing could have come out in a month. All right, let's be conservative, three months. So it was invented at the end of January by Biogen 2020. So by February, March, April, you're really conservative. By the end of April, by May Day, the vaccine could have been starting to be deployed. Now, you do have to manufacture it, and the Operation Warp Speed was good for that because they assured these companies that they wouldn't have to take the loss if they weren't approved, if they started to manufacture in advance, because they knew they were going to be approved. If you've got a brain and you know the science, you know that they're going to be approved. You know it's going to work. And from the first test, the first test they did on the Moderna vaccine, I think it was 36 patients. And 90% of them got better from, uh, well, it's not a therapeutic. 90% of them showed resistance to the symptoms of COVID. Now, it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. It just stops COVID from hurting you if you get it. It doesn't even stop the transmission of COVID, which some vaccines do. Uh, but it turns it into a non-issue. And COVID is still circulating. And it's pretty much a non-issue now. And it's not really a non-issue. But it's, it's bad, but not scary bad like it used to be. Now we're getting to the end. So I said in the, I just want to cash in what I promised. I said the FDA has killed 
more or led to an early grave, shortened, brought to an early death more people than any collectivist dictatorship. And that includes Mao, who way outdistanced uh, Hitler, even outdistanced Stalin, who outdistanced Hitler. Why can I say this? Because I know that the delays and the slowdowns and the never to be started cures that have been prevented would have extended all of our healthy lifespans, our health span as they called it, for probably centuries, well, certainly for decades. So the fact that human beings are still, we're living longer, but that we're dying now in our 80s where we used to die in our 60s and 70s, the fact that we aren't living into well into the hundreds in good health is absolutely the cause, uh, the result of the FDA and other government controls. So we need the separation of state and medicine, just so I can we have the separation of state and church. Medicine is a scientific issue. For instance, a lot of people disagree with me about uh, the safety of the vaccines and the effectiveness of the vaccines. There's a huge movement, the anti-vaxxers and, you know, less than anti-vaccine skeptics who are not quite anti-vax. Why should they have to take it? You can't force them to take it. That's wrong. That's immoral. And you can't force me not to take it. You can't force me to wait from May to February to get these, uh, this Moderna vaccine. That is immoral and it is killing us. It is killing us. All the people who died in the last, let's say 30 years, how many hundreds of millions of Americans, I'm talking about Americans, but there's the same agency kind of agency in every country. How many Americans and, let's just say Americans, have died in the last 30 years? 100 million? None of them needed to die. Well, that's an exaggeration. Okay. Lots of them didn't need to die. They only died because the life-saving technology that we're going to get 10 years from now was stopped from being available 30 years from now and 20 years from now and 10 years from now. And it's not just the going through the FDA. The one final thought. If there were no government involvement in medicine, if the cops are out of medicine, I don't mean they ran out of medicine. I mean, if they left it alone and had nothing to do with medicine, there would be no prescription system. People would be experimenting massively. There are lots of people for whom it's rational to try just about anything because they're terminally ill. There's a lot of irrational people who will pop anything into their mouth if they hear from somebody that it's good. From this massive experimentation, some of it rational, some of it irrational, 
there would be a natural selection for things that work. You'd be seeing it. And the, you know, supplements that they can't regulate now are uh, exposed to a little bit of this experimentation and we get results from it. That's helpful, but imagine it, anything that a chemist could formulate and you, a person, somebody or some dozens or hundreds or thousands of people were willing to take, you could take it. One final way of looking at this. In, the, in May, June, July, and August, these massive trials, they're called phase three trials, of the messenger RNA vaccines were being done. Moderna tested 30,000, Pfizer tested 40 or 50,000 people. It takes a long time to run those tests. And nothing could be given to the rest of the population until they were satisfied, as of course it happened, that they were satisfied that these are safe. Now, maybe you think they weren't safe, but it doesn't matter. The government decided they were safe. And that what we're talking about is why should the government make that decision? So they wanted data, right? Well, we have, well, let's run the cl clinical trials. We have double blind experience. Half of them will get a placebo. Half of them will get the uh, vaccine. We'll see what happens after they're been infected, we'll wait and see how many of them get the symptoms of COVID. Why couldn't they let the public take it and see what happens when millions of people take it? What's the value of clinical trials in this kind of situation? You know, oh no, let's have them go through these protocols and let's do double blind. No, double blind has a real place in medical research, of course, but not when people are dying and coming close to death by the millions and they want to experiment with a vaccine as I did, you'll get your data. You don't need double blind experiments to find out what happens when you give billions of people as they eventually did these vaccines. And if they didn't work, and some people persist in believing they didn't. We would see that. Why do we have to have clinical trials which said they did work when you just let them be used by the public and you'll find out? Remember, no one is advocating forcing. No, I mean, on my side, objectivism and my position is not that, oh, jab those arms. No, it's hey, we got a vaccine that's a messenger RNA vaccine. You want to try it? Yeah, damn right. I want to try it now. And lots of millions of other people. Let's say it's only one in 20 Americans. That's 15 million Americans. What's the point of doing a trial on 30,000? You could have that data in droves. So why, why are you holding up the real use of it in the mass population to do a pointless clinical trial, which found that it was 94% effective for one and 90% for the other? It's mindlessness on steroids. 
think anyone even tries to justify the use of force to stop people from trying medical innovations. I don't think it even occurs to them that this is something that has to be justified because they, oh, well, public health and society has to monitor. And there's all these floating abstractions, as Ayn Rand calls them, and no real hard thinking about the meaning of what's going on, that it's the gun coming into the doctor's office and saying, not so fast, don't jab him with that. That is evil. That must be abolished. A good first step would be to turn the FDA into an advisory-only board. Let them do whatever they want, but they have no force of law. They cannot stop you from going against their recommendations. Ultimately, you have to get rid of the recommendations because government has no business doing that and it warps insurance and court cases and so forth because people think the government really knows. No, there's no place for the gun in medicine. It's the realm of the mind. Thank you very much. See you on the next HBTV and I've decided what we're going to do. So I'll give you an advance ad. If you watch Young Sheldon, Young Sheldon, spinoff of the Big Bang Theory about Sheldon Cooper when he was a young person, there's this, uh, two episodes on when Sheldon takes a philosophy course that makes him into a skeptic. And I'm going to give Sheldon, Young Sheldon, the answers that neither the characters in the show nor the writers of the show could give him. Until then. Before we end, we have one question that is on topic. Okay. Uh, it's I in the chat. That. Uh, let me. Are you optimistic about medical progress? Super optimistic. And I would, uh, you know, I'm expecting rejuvenation. I'm expecting to get younger again. If I can just live, oh, eight more years, 10 more years, I think this is going to happen. I mean, you have no idea. I had no idea till you find out what they're working on in the in places like Harvard and MIT and Stanford. We're not talking about some, uh, Bangladeshi uh, uh, Backwater Institute. They are the, uh, major labs at major universities with sterling reputations and peer-reviewed articles are writing about how they can turn aging back. Human skin cells have already been brought back 30 years in a Petri dish. Mice have been de-aged. I don't know the time frame, but it, uh, I, it was very significant. So I am looking forward to it, to being rejuvenated and becoming young again, and uh, having a lifespan in, measured in centuries instead of years. 
And the great thing about thinking that is if you're wrong, you will never know it. See you next week.